Welcome to the Programmatic Digest, a podcast dedicated to review industry headlines and trends in the programmatic and digital ad tech world. I'm Ellen Parker, your host and Chief Programmatic Sensei of Ellen Parker Consulting, where we offer customizable training in programmatic media. Welcome to the Programmatic Digest, everybody. Sonia, welcome to the Sunset Corner. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. It's a nice way to spend my afternoon with you. Yeah, right. Thank you. Well, thank you for making the time. I'm really excited. Um, We're going to have a lot to talk about today. Uh, But before we get into this, before we get into Tripolit, before we get into supply path optimization and DEI, I'd love to learn about you, who you are, you as a person. So give the listeners and myself a good introduction about who you are and what you do. Sure. Wow, that's so open-ended. I love it. Um, So my name is Sonia, and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I'm Canadian. I'm originally from Vancouver, so I moved to California about 10 years ago now. Um, And I have a very atypical career path, I would say, in programmatic. I feel like most of us do. Like Most of us weren't like, when I was seven years old, I wanted to be an ad tech. Um, Maybe some of you did, and that's cool. Uh, but for me, the first six years of my career, I spent working for um, the Vancouver Canucks, which is an NHL team based in Vancouver. Uh, it would be oh, sort of like cool. sort of like working for like the Lakers or something, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hockey. Canada and hockey. Yeah, exactly. So I worked in sales and service. Um, and then I moved over to what we called at the time web and new media, which has like morphed into digital and social. I think I'm dating myself a little bit, but... Um, I worked there for six years and then I decided I wanted to move to California. Mm-hmm. So I decided to start a business, which was a blow dry bar. And yeah. at the time, yeah, wild, right? Cool. That's um, really cool. And I, I like didn't know much about hair other than like, okay, I have it. Right. So how hard this, can this be? Um, but it, it was really fun. Um, I did it for two years. I learned a lot. And we turned it into a pretty successful business. Um, I sold that business. So I kind of got to flex my entrepreneurial muscles for a while. Um, <laughs> and that was back in 2014, San Francisco. There was like startup phase. There were technology companies everywhere. Everybody was getting funded. So um, that's when I really got into ad tech. I joined a company called Virule, which was a programmatic video platform. Um, and I led our relationships with publishers and SSPs and exchanges. Um, and then a couple of years later, 2016, I joined Triple Lift. So I've been here for five years now, oh, wow. um, yeah. which has been amazing. Um, watching the company grow from, I think when I joined, we were at like 40 million or something in, in terms of revenue and we'll do oh, close right. to a, a billion this year. So, um, yeah, atypical hockey, hair, programmatic. But like, we all have an origin story. So that's mine. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, wow. A dry blow, uh, a blow dry bar. Is that what you said? That's really cool. It. That's a really yeah. cool um, business. It's out of, yeah. I, I love the journey because uh, I like to highlight the journey from, from the guests because you're right. It's atypical. Like we don't always think about it. I knew I always wanted to be in marketing, but I'm pretty sure until I was like maybe in my mid teens, I did not know I wanted to do a lot of other things. So, um, yeah, so, so I've obviously programmatic is part of a marketing branch, <laughs> but yeah, thank you for introducing, uh, yourself. So what exactly, what do you do now at Triple Lift? 
Yeah. So just starting with um, with Triplelift. So we are really a technology company that, um, that that sits, I would say, at the intersection between creative and media. And mm-hmm. so our vision is really it's always been reinventing ad placements mm-hmm. across different mediums. And so we started doing that for native advertising, which was, I mean, close to 10 years ago when the company was founded. Yeah. Um, right. And I think that's what a lot of folks in programmatic probably know us for is yeah, yeah. lift yeah. equals native. Um, but now we're doing some really exciting things in CTV and online video um, yeah. and display and our business actually in those channels, surprisingly, is even larger than our native business today. So that's really become um, a huge part of what we do. There's a lot to be excited about there. Um, We were acquired a few months ago by Vista Equity Partners. And Mm -hmm. so that's going to help us supercharge that mission globally. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we're really going to be leading with CTV in this next chapter, which is exciting. Um, So I will say like, we're definitely at that phase where we're going through an evolution. Yeah. Um, but, but through that, all of our core tenets have remained the same. You know, we're, we're, we're doing things to make advertising better for everyone. And that includes um, improving user experience by changing the, the, the kind of canvas that advertising lives on, um, but also helping media owners monetize their content in a much more user-centric way. So that's like, that's the triple if now. Um, story. And then where I fit into that story. uh, So I'm the VP of the the platform partnerships team. So um, my team specializes kind of in the platforms ecosystem. So think of, you know, demand side platforms like Google's DB360 or the Trade Desk or Amazon DSP. Uh, My team of 17 leads our partnerships with more than 60 DSPs that are plugged into our exchange today. Um, so we work really closely with our sales team, um, who is there to help advertisers, you know, deliver on triple lift. And then also we work really closely with our technical teams to ensure that our integrations are all healthy and best in class. And we're sending the right stuff to our DSP partners. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, where we fit inside of it. So, um, you help advertisers and publishers decode the supply path optimization. Yep. Somebody listening to um, the introduction of Triple Lift is probably saying, but oh, that's great. But how do I get to remember Triple Lift in my day to day, specifically from a buyer perspective or from an ad ops perspective, right? From a buy side or sell side perspective, how can they see Triple Lift as a, a partner? Simply put. Yeah. It's a great question. So, depending which side of the advertising ecosystem you're on, I think mm-hmm. the the cohesive layer here is if you are looking, let's say you're an advertiser, if you're looking for a um, transparent, high quality, direct path to supply in channels like native or CTV or video or display, and you want to activate that programmatically through your DSP of choice, mm-hmm. you should be working with TripleLift, whether it's in the mm-hmm. open exchange or in a deal environment. Um, and we do have a lot of creative specialties for sure. We always have. We started that with our, our native side. Um, and on the publisher side of the coin, we've, I think, made a name by working directly with the largest publishers in the ecosystem. Um, so when you talk about supply path optimization, so much of that is ensuring that you're working directly with your partners 
and you're not paying additional ad tech tax for something that's not adding a ton of value. Mm-hmm. So we, we've really built our business based on our direct relationships with our advertisers, with our DSPs that we work with, and with our publishers. Um, and we do that to allow campaigns to scale. Got it. Got it. So where, so what's your, your point of view on third-party deprecation? Oh my goodness. How much time do you have? So okay. it's funny, Maybe right? Like, like three minutes. Short. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do okay, want to okay. ask other questions. So I just yeah. thought about it. So how do you, what is your, not triple if per se, of course you can bring, bring their point of view in here if, if allowed, yeah. but what's your perspective as a marketer, as an expert in the field? Yeah. So I think that it's interesting. Like when, when the announcement initially came out, however long ago, when Google said, you know, we're killing the cookie, (laughs) everyone in every company freaked out and did all this stuff. And then, um, you know, we're, we're kind of on pins and needles and, and then Google came out with the additional announcement and said, actually, we're going to delay it because we don't think we're quite ready. And then everyone kind of sat back a bit and said, oh, we've got plenty of time. Well, here we are again. We're like, oh, goodness. Yeah. You know, it's like that, that uh, human truth of procrastination. So now um, we're, we're really, we have a year to figure this all out. But overall, I think that um, cookies are kind of an antiquated way for us to approach programmatic advertising. They made sense for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I think Over this is a... Yeah. And, and, you know, I think some, you, we, we pissed off a, a whole tranche of users with behavioral advertising. I'm talking about us as a, as an industry. Consumer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and, and consumers. Yeah. I mean, you're a consumer. I'm a consumer. We see this stuff every day. And so I think that, um, a pendulum swing was required. And so I think it makes a lot of sense why this is happening. It's required for the evolution of advertising. It will, however, considerably shrink the addressable market for folks who are looking to continue to advertising based to advertise based on audiences. And so I think what you're going to see mm-hmm. is the companies that are innovative, who understand um, user privacy preferences and understand the next generation of identity, they will rise to the top and there will be a reckoning for most other companies. So we've been talking about consolidation for years. This is just another headwind that's going to uh, significantly fast track that process. So I think the good will get better and the mediocre and the not so great. Um, I don't think those companies will exist anymore. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, So I had a follow-up question and then you said that and now I'm like... That was a hot take, right? I'm just here to throw some hot takes at you. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. So let's shift back to supply path optimization before we talk about diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion topic, and we close. Um, what are three to five best practice guide tips from Sonia when it comes to SPO? What is, and maybe maybe we can break it down even better from a buy side perspective, what are two or three things you want people to remember when it comes to looking at SPO and from a sell side, what are two, three, two to three things? So let's start with buy side. What are your sure. tips that you want to know this and this? Not so much for, regarding for triple but based on what you've seen in your day-to-day, how can we utilize your expertise into our day-to-day? Yeah, 
So for supply path optimization on the buy side, which is where I spend most of my time on the demand side, um, I would say that advertisers should be mindful about which supply partners like Tripolift or other SSPs and exchanges they are working with, and they should be deliberate about that. So years ago, the programmatic you know, um, approach was target everything, buy in the open exchange, allow the bidder to do what it does, right? More is more, scale is scale, big deliver data. at all costs. Big data. Yeah, big data. And now I think that what we're seeing is we're seeing like agency holding companies working directly with SSPs like Tripolift. And they have these short lists that say, we've gone through a rigorous evaluation of supply partners. And instead of the 85 exchanges that we were buying on before, we've seen that we can get the same value extracted from working with just eight, for mm. example. Um, and that gives them, frankly, more negotiating power. Um, and it, you know, it, it's it's better for everybody to be working directly with. So I think on the on the buy side, know mm. who you're buying from, be deliberate who you're buying from. Don't just buy from everybody. Yeah. The other point I would say, another best practice would be. Understand the supply path optimization tools that are available in your DSP. So, okay. depending which DSP you use, nearly every premier DSP now has things like um, allowing you to only buy inventory that is sourced directly. So, if it has been resold, you can you can block that. There are some cases where resellers can add value. I won't get too much into that, but. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, you're going to want to work with with SSPs who are working directly with the publisher. There's very few reasons outside of that. So those are your best practices on the buy side. On the publisher side, I would also say that fewer is becoming better. So um, Mm -hmm. when header bidding came out, you know, publishers would want to work with, I I have 20 SSPs, right? And I'm just going to allow everyone. Yeah. Publishers don't have a ton of of staff to maintain those partnerships, and that's tricky for yield ops. So, I would say pick your pick your partners that you really want to double down on, who you want to drive the majority of your yield. That also gives publishers more uh, negotiating power to co-develop things with their supply partners. So, I think fewer is also better on the supply side. Um, and lastly, on the pub side, understand what the demand side is doing for supply path optimization. So I will give you an example. The Trade Desk, which is one of the preeminent DSPs, recently came out with an initiative around marketplace quality um, Mm -hmm. that is super publisher-centric. And it requires publishers all of a sudden to know this whole host of information and implement these signals that the Trade Desk has requested them to implement um, in order to improve the industry and have the most efficient partners rise to the top. A few years ago, publishers didn't have to worry that much. Their SSP would handle it. Like, let us know, you know, give us the notes at the end of the year. Now, all of a sudden, publishers and DSPs are sitting at the same table. So keep tabs on what the DSPs are doing um, and leverage your SSP to do that as well. And I guess going back to the example of the traders, they're doing this because they want to be the leaders in terms of good supply inventory for their own brand since they're DSP. Yep. They're taking that leadership. So I like, uh, so let's recap some of the points because I, I like that uh, because you said like, know who you're working with and sometimes less is more. And I, 
absolutely agree with this with this uh, with this principle. It's definitely the case, even when optimization, when you're looking at your inventory, when we can have the impressions, you're looking at your KPIs, sometimes it, you have to remember that inventory concept. Also like the fact that you're calling out that DSPs have certain level of settings. And if you don't know what we're talking about, I encourage you to open DB360 to trade us or any of the uh, DB, uh, DSP that you're working on in and select and test selecting resellers don't allow resellers only work with direct. Um, so just on that point, can you briefly refresh our memories in terms of what a reseller is? Um, you don't have to give um, any outside perspective, but like, just let us know, like, what's the difference between a reseller and like a direct? Absolutely. So when you think about the programmatic chain, mm-hmm. somebody's working directly with the publisher. So let's say it's an SSP like Triple Lift working directly with a publisher like CBS Interactive or BuzzFeed. That's okay. a direct relationship. If the DSP is buying that impression through Triple Lift, mm-hmm. that's a direct impression. But there's a large uh, component of programmatic transactions that, are, that don't go that way because there's an incentive in programmatic for an ad exchange to partner with as many other ad exchanges as possible. So they may have a direct relationship with the publisher. They may also be buying from an exchange that has a direct relationship with the publisher. Mm-hmm. And so I think about it like, you know, when you're, you're buying uh, tickets for a concert, right? You can buy yeah. them from mm-hmm. Ticketmaster or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can buy them direct from the source. Usually when you buy through, you know, a scalper or a, a company that sells resold tickets, you're probably going to pay a premium for the mm-hmm. same product. Mm-hmm. And there might even be some concerns yeah. around the validity or the quality of those tickets. Are they going to work when you, you know, you know, scan them at the door? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And I, I do caveat that with saying there are some some value-added resellers in there doing cool things like adding creative, um, adding creative capabilities and such. But for the most part, if you're buying that BuzzFeed impression or you're buying that CBSI impression and it's available from an SSP who's working directly with that publisher, right. why wouldn't you want to do that? Then go straight to the source. Why would you go yeah. via, you know, the middleman or the middleman and their middleman? <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, that's a great segue or somewhat of a segue into the next topic. So thank you for clarifying that. Um, I wanted to talk to you about diversity and equity and inclusion. Um, you went from growing your team from three to 20 globally. And diversity was one of your guiding principles. So talk to us about, um, about how you went about doing so. Sure. Um, so this is a big one for me. I know that you yeah. mentioned it's near and dear to your heart. Um, I think given that, you know, I myself come from what would be considered like a non-traditional background in tech, right? I'm female, LGBTQ. I was not born in the US. Um, mm-hmm. So diversity hiring is is really important to me. And I think at Triple Lift, we put our money where our mouth is on that one, not just because it is the right thing to do, which by the way, it is. So that's, that's the first part, but it's also <laughs> really good, really good for business. And so yeah. the, the diversity of, of my team, honestly, is one of the things that I am most proud of here at Triple Lift. In fact, just yesterday, we were going through like our engagement scores um, from a recent survey, you know, where you mm-hmm. ask everyone on the team, a bunch of questions and you anonymize the responses to see how we're doing. 
Mm, and yeah. the one that I was most proud of was the question was triple lift values diversity. And mm. the team scored 100% agree on that. So I was just wow, like, what's up? everything else is great. And there's a lot of really great stories in there. But like that one, I'm like, that's, that's tough to get. So that's a win. Celebrate um, that. That's, that's definitely amazing. a win. That's definitely amazing. a win. And so I think looking at my team, you know, between yeah. the, um, with open roles, I think we're at about 20, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, we have really strong representation from what would traditionally be, you know, underrepresented, um, groups in technology. So I think Roughly two thirds of the team identifies as female. We have representation from the LGBTQ community, myself included, mm-hmm. um, representation from the Black community, the Asian community. We have parents, we have immigrants, we have first generation immigrants. I'm an immigrant myself, I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, I know actually, not, I don't think, I know that diversity helps us make de- better decisions. Absolutely. Because and like, I don't want to exist in my own echo chamber. I hear my own voice enough. Um, and so I've really come to expect folks to be questioning my decisions. And that line of questioning is so much more helpful when mm. it's coming from diverse perspectives. I want to That's break down really what you part. said. I want to break down what you said, because I don't think they heard you. Uh, yeah. You said diversity. You know that diversity has a better outcome on your revenue or your team uh, performance on your team productivity. And I want to quote a Tristan Walker. He is the founder of, I think it's Walker and company. He's the founder of the, uh, the black owned um, beauty uh, brand and specifically Bavel, which is what I, my husband used. That's how I know him. But Tristan Walker said diversity leads to better outcome and every teams I've worked with that were diverse from all aspects have outperformed other teams, period. Like there's, there's no secret. Why? Because we all bring a different perspective and all of us have a certain representation. It's just like, you know, when there is like a mishap in advertising, especially during like the Black Lives Matter and brands were trying to uplift anything black related and but did not do it correctly <laughs> mm-hmm. um and so i'm laughing because there are some very terrible ones out there but there's some great ones as well and i always like to joke is because there was like nobody wanted to listen to uh jamal the intern and i'm borrowing this from lonnie love actually she, she she's a co-host of the real and she's always like um there's probably a lot of non-diverse People mm-hmm. sitting at that table making decision, key decision, and nobody wanted to listen to Jamal, the intern that was saying, that is probably not something we want to go for. And they still went for it. Yeah. So um, I love that. So you, you're listening to Jamal, the intern. You're listening. Matter of fact, he's not the intern. He is part of your team. <laughs> he's, he's our he's senior director. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I I want to represent, I want to highlight what um, what also was shared is that your team, which in various ways affects over 98% of the triple list revenue, Mm -hmm. um, includes representation from LGBTQIA, Black, Asian, and first-generation immigrant immigrant communities. And I know you already said that, but I want to highlight this again because it's a win and it's showed, like it's showing. And um, and I see you say it on a webinar, see it in your social posts, I see it everywhere. Um, So I appreciate your leadership and I appreciate that you're speaking up on it and speaking out for others that maybe don't know that they have that voice. So I want to take the moment to applaud you 
for this. Like, this is it. Like, soak it in. You're amazing. You're killing it. You know, we need more of you out there. Times seven, times 10X. You know what? Infinite at this point. We just need a lot of it. So um, so I think it's a great way to end uh, the conversation and to move into the closing segment where kind of go back to asking a little bit more personal question that usually I ask for fun facts, but you already shared quite a few. So since this is going to air in the new year and it's always like a new year, a new me, let's play a small game. Let's play a quick game. It's called okay. the, the what if game. Um, I just played it this week and it's in December, but this is going to air in January. Um, and the what if statement is we think between eight to nine negative thoughts out of 10. So instead of saying, what if I lose my job in the year? What if I gain whatever weights in this year or lose whatever weights and I'm not supposed to? Let's shift our mindset and play the game in a positive aspect. So give us three what if statements and I'll share a couple of mine so you have an idea of what, where I'm going here. Um, so my first one would be, what if I do retire my mom before the end of 2022? Meaning what if I'm able to pay all her bills, but if she wants to keep working for the hospital as she works it and she loves to work with, uh, for rather, um, that she, she only gets to go because she wants to, not because she has to. Another what if statement is like, what if I am truly able to find or book um, five to six figure sponsorship for the podcast and able to constantly donate up to 70% of the sponsorship and maybe cash in 30%, mm-hmm. you know? So the what if statement has to be crazy dreams. Like, ooh, is this impossible? Oh, it's so scary. I like it. You have to be scarce-sighted about your IYF. So think about one or two to share with us. Okay. So it's going to be like abundance mindset stuff. Like Abundance mindset. Yep. Okay. Like something like really beyond. And it doesn't only have to be about professional. Like it can be personal. Okay. What if, ooh, what if I am able to, um, Okay, this is going to be really lofty. What if I am able to genuinely strike balance across every category in my life and show up as my fulfilled and most authentic self? Ooh. That would be one. And I'm talking here about like work, friends, family, relationship, good. everything. Being authentic you. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. good. That's, that's going to be a what if. Because aren't we all chasing that at the end of the day? We can call it whatever we want to call it, but that would be one of them. Um, And then the second would be, what if I am able to um, build, so I'm really passionate about real estate and real estate investing. It's like a really fun side hustle for me. What what if I am able to expand that into a meaningful um, center of, um, you know, business and entrepreneurship to Mm create a world where X number of years from now, when we've all ridden off into the ad tech sunset, that can be what funds my dreams and adventures and travels. So that'll be my what if on that side. Mm. So if I hear you correctly, I think those what ifs are not big enough. I think you're absolutely (laughs) capable of doing it. I think you can be the real estate mogul that you want to be within the next two years because you have the energy. You already have the heart. You already, it seems like you have a passion if you're a side hustle, you know, 
Um, I know that in our industry, it's like, oh, shit, she has a side hustle. Ooh, uh, no, but like, y'all, come on. <laughs> I, I, Our job does not define our identity, right? So it's okay to have passion and hobbies around it. And if your hobby makes you happier than your nine to five, maybe it's something you want to um, consider in the next year or so, or even tomorrow, who knows? Yeah. But I love the fact that you are going above and beyond first from your own perspective, like being authentic is really real for me. And I always strive to being it, but I've been used. I'm so used to code switching at work. Yeah. Then even now that I have my own business, I have a programmatic solution business and I train agency partners or brand partners, um, you know, how to, how to run a campaign correctly, like from a trader's perspective, from an operational workflow. So that's what I do. But even though I'm still the boss B, I still have to code switch sometimes and I'll hear myself out loud and I'm like, well, that's not me. So why would mm-hmm. I say things? But you're so used to like code switching. And then that goes back to our diversity conversation. I was told multiple times as the black woman on the team, just to like, you're, you might be too passionate about this client or you might be too passionate to work with the client. And it was, it would be like a, it would be like an everyday brand. Like what? What? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'll just not be on this account, I guess. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much for being you. Thank you so much for, again, thinking bigger than what is in front of you and always projecting positivity in our industry and projecting diversity. I think we definitely need like so much more of you. And I hope, you know, this is recording in December. It'll be live in January, but we wish you a happy, happy, happy year. And this is not the last time we're going to talk about Sonia. Okay. Her name is spelled with a J, but it's Sonia. She say like lasagna, lasagna. I mean, not sorry, not lasagna. Sonia, not lasagna. Oh my God. That's actually all, that's all of my social handles are oh, lasagna. So don't oh, worry, you're onto something here. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> there you go. So all of your information will be included in our show notes, which can be found everywhere on social media that I am on social media, LinkedIn and Twitter, Instagram, you name it. And TikTok, hopefully. But if anybody has a quick question and want to reach out to you, what is a quick email that they can, they can pick from this conversation? Sonia at triplelift.com. So S-O-N-J-A at triplelift.com. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for dropping by, Sonia. You're amazing. Thank you. And this is not the last time we'll talk. So thank you so much. Indeed. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.